is lesson four of Luke chapter four as we study the book of Luke. Um, Last time as we studied chapter three, we learned that Jesus was 30 years old. Um, This was the age that the uh, men went in to become priests. And Jesus had reached this age and as we learned in chapter 3 about how John the Baptist had baptized Jesus. Chapter 4 starts out with Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 1 says, Jesus being full of the Holy Spirit. So I ask questions, why would the Son of God have to go through these steps of water baptism and being filled with the Holy Spirit? You would think, being the Son of God, he would already have all that he needed to fulfill all that was required of him, right? Well, Jesus was born human with all the weaknesses that we have. He came to be our example and to show us that as a normal human being, we too can overcome this world and all that it has to throw at us. I found it interesting there were no miracles performed prior to this. Next scripture tells us he was led of this into the wilderness. God was leading him. Remember last week Rhonda talked about all the wilderness that when we open up to God and with outrageous obedience, God is saying he is birthing something in the barren places within us that could be viewed as in the wake time. Our example is what Jesus went through. Remember in chapter three, verse 22, God said, this is my beloved son in who I am well pleased. Jesus followed in God's outrageous obedience just as we should. Now in this barren place in the wilderness, that was where he was led to, and at his weakest point, here comes the temptation. He now is ending this six weeks of fasting with nothing to eat for six weeks. He's very hungry when Satan starts his temptation, and even though Satan was there the whole time in the wilderness, It says at the end, in verse 2, that he was hungered. It says after the six weeks, he was hungered, not before. My thoughts are when you are hungry for God, earthly food doesn't satisfy. Maybe that's why he was only hungry at the end of his six weeks of fasting. God was filling him up with words and thoughts and his great love. His time in the wilderness was meaningful, hungry to bring glory to his Father. Now Satan always comes with us in doubt. He used the word if, trying to make it doubt. If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. I know you're hungry, but Jesus draws his sword the word and says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Our example once again is to defeat the enemy the same way that Jesus did. For 
1 John 2.16 For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. This first temptation that Jesus goes through is the temptation of flesh. For it is a fleshly desire of food. He was hungry. Also note that the first two of these are lust, and the very last one is pride. In a moment, instantly, the devil showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said all authority and power would be his if he would just bow down and worship Satan. Who did Satan think that he was? He knew that he was the Son of God, but the temptation was still great. Now we see the lust of the eyes. He saw with his eyes everything that would bring power and authority, but Jesus drew his sword. But this time, he put Satan in his place first. He says, get behind me, Satan. That is where he belongs. For it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. Our example, once again, is to put Satan in his place of no authority over us. For 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Satan is prowling like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. I heard a pastor say that a roaring lion is an old lion without teeth. They can only roar loudly to scare the prey into the young lions waiting to devour them. That's how Satan does us. He does a lot of roaring, a lot of thoughts that he puts in our mind, a lot of temptations, but he has no power unless we give in to him. We must also remember before God alone let us bow. No one else. Next, Satan takes him to Jerusalem temple high above the earth. This was holy ground. It was the temple. And I just want to note that temptations are generally more severe here on the holy ground. And here it comes again, Satan with the big if. If thou be the Son of God, Satan quotes scripture. It is written, but he never does it correctly. He manipulates it to serve his own purpose. In Psalms 91.11 says, For he shall give his angels charge over thee, to keep thee in all thy ways. Satan chose to leave out the very necessary last four words. For it is not, or it was not the way of a child of God to come down from the temple headlong into the gulf beneath. Now we see the pride of life pride, temptation to make him great, to, to put him above everyone else. Jesus answered him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Satan was defeated once again. Now Satan tucks tail and he goes away. And the Bible says that he was defeated and left until the next time. I would like to show you another example of how Satan used these tactics before to cause Adam and Eve to sin. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 through 6, 
You read how Satan tempted them with the fruit of the tree of life. Eve starts out and she quotes that God said indeed they would surely die if they ate of the tree of life. But once again, Satan brings doubt and he misquotes scripture. But Satan cast doubt on the word of God in verse 4. Satan says, you shall not surely die. And they didn't die right away, but death did come to them just as God had said. <clears throat> All three of these deceptions Eve followed. First, there was the flesh, the lust of the flesh. The woman saw the fruit, and it was good for food. Second, it was the flesh of the eye, the lust of the eye. For it says, and it was pleasant to her eye. Third, Satan told her, it will make you wise. Satan has no new weapons. He uses the same old tactics. We must recognize these tactics so we know how to defeat them. Jesus now gains the power of the Spirit, just like you will when you follow his example. If you could take three index cards and write on the cards on the front of each one, put the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life in bold letters on each of the one of those cards. And then on the back of each one, write what is included in these so we might have a better look at how Satan tempts us. For example, the definition of the lust of the flesh is a desire for self-gratification and generally relates to inner cravings of the heart. In Galatians 5.19, it tells us how this is manifested. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, adultery, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissension, heresy, envy, murders, drunkenness, carousing, and the things like these, of which I forewarn you. And it goes on to say that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then we look at the lust of the eye. It incorporates all the things we see with our eyes, which entice us to sin and often feeds out fallen imaginations. The world is full of eye candy. All the glamour and gaudiness, all of the sprints and the sparkles, but all that glitters is not gold. And the child of God must keep his eyes on him. When we look at the definition for the pride of life, temptation for excessive greatness or power or hunting after honors, titles, riches, pedigrees. It refers to whatever there is that tends to promote pride, the sin of being arrogant and boastful about what one has or has achieved, 
also seeing others as inferior. We can see a lot of things uh, and a lot of people that I know that everybody has come across in their lifetime and experienced. Those that just think they're better than you are. Sometimes, even as Christian people, we tend to take the poor and the needy and make ourselves feel more superior than them. This is pride, and pride has no place with God. Remember that last of John 2.16, the verse in John 2.16? It is not of the Father, but it is of the world. Verse 17 and the world passes away, and they lust thereof, but he that dwelt doeth the will of God abideth forever. I don't know about you, but I want to abide with God forever. That is my goal. So these temptations have no place in my life for the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Jesus gave us the example. He overcome, and so can we. In verse number 14, Jesus' fame went throughout all the region and the synagogues. They knew that his, what he had gone through and what he was doing, and it was known to all the people. It says that Jesus goes to Nazareth, Nazareth his hometown, and his people, his own people, reject him. He read to them this passage, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the accepted year of the Lord. And then he closed the book. When these people heard Jesus saying these words, they began to say, Isn't this just Joseph, the carpenter's son? We knew him. Who is he that he has so much power that he can come and talk to us about it being the acceptable year of the Lord? Jesus states that no prophet is accepted in his own country. You too will be rejected in your home place by those that are familiar with your life. The word says his home people thrust him out of the city and they led him to the bow of the hill whereon they might cast him down headlong. In other words, they wanted to kill him. That's how mad they were. They wanted him to die. But Jesus passed through the people and went his way. And I thought, you know, it would be hard for him to pass through the people that were so angry at him that they wanted to throw him over to he the hill and kill him. I just wonder if Jesus could be invisible at this point, that he could go back through without them tugging on him and pulling on him, these angry people. But that's just my thought. It just says that Jesus passed through the people and he went his way. It says, now Jesus goes to Galilee, where the people listen to his words and believe. The key word here is believe. When they believed, then miracles are performed. 
in verse 33, He heals a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil. His fame went through out into every place. As his miracles started taking place, Jesus' fame grew among the people. He goes to Simon's house and he heals his mother-in-law who was sick with a fever. And she was healed instantly and got up and started making them food. All that had any sick, the Bible says, with diverse diseases were brought down unto him. He laid hands on every one of them and healed them. Wow, what an example for us. He says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's John 14, 12 that says, Truly, truly, I tell you, he that believeth, keyword believeth, on me, the works that I do, he shall do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father, and whosoever or whatsoever you ask in my name, Jesus, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That is our promise. Did you catch that? Greater things, greater works than these shall we do if we believe and ask it in the name of Jesus so that God may be glorified. What a scripture for us. What power, what authority our Father gives us to be an overcomer. For those that don't believe in miracles, this is God's word. This is what he says we will be able to do. I hope this lesson has been um, a blessing to you. May you think about the words that are said here. Go back and read the whole chapter of Luke chapter 4. And may you be blessed. May God open your eyes to see and your ears to hear what he is saying to you. Thank you and have a great day. Thank you.